there's been a murder. Journalism. Hey, everybody, I'm Steve Green with Bill Whittle and Scott Ott, and this is Right Angle, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Uh, gentlemen, I don't think I've read a Cal Thomas column in years. Ooh. I mean, Cal's a good guy, but he's been around forever, and so yeah. you kind of know what he's going to say. But uh, he's got a new piece out that, that really caught my eye, in which he says journalism is dead. And I'm going to say it's it's more than dead. It's It's been murdered. It's been stabbed multiple times, like one of these horrible stories you see on the front page of the New York Post. Um and one of the things uh, that uh, that Cal quoted in his in his column was from an interview. I think it was in uh, in the Atlantic with New York Times publisher A. G. Sulzberger, and he was asked about the state of journalism today. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you what he had to say about this because I think it's a, I think it's a real tell. He said, should the role of journalists to be to push for a certain cause or party or group or ideology or even a specific outcome on a specific issue? Or should the role of journalists be to independently follow the truth and try to arm the public with the facts and the context and the understanding it needs for this giant, diverse democracy to come together and self-govern? Bill, what I find interesting is it's pretty clear that Sulzberger wants you to think that his aim is the second part. But if you look at the front page or any other page of the New York Times, it's pretty clear that it's the first part that he's actually engaging in. Can you think of a, a, a better murder suspect than this guy right there? Well, first of all, isn't it the Washington Post whose uh, masthead says democracy dies in darkness? Yeah. <laughs> and they've yeah, got that's the a, that's a that's a that's an MO. That's not a statement. That's a that's a that's a plan. Um, that's 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 their objective. Uh, yeah, you know, murdered is, is a good term for it, Steve. I, I believe there's a an actual headline that was something to the effect of uh, body found shot in the back of the head, handcuffed, feet encased in concrete, semicolon, police suspect foul play. Um, <laughs> the uh, police suspect foul play, it's been, it's been murdered. And this is sort of becoming kind of my meta now, at least for this year or two. And that is this this sort of super high altitude belief that if you have to lie about something or censor something, then you're on the wrong side. Then then you are not telling the truth because people who are on the side of the truth don't have to do either one of those things. They don't have to lie about the truth. They don't have to, they don't have to convince people of the truth and they don't have to censor the truth. The truth speaks for itself. The, the ethos of journalism has changed and that's really what's caused everything else Every, everything else is is downstream of the of the change in what journalists have as a self-image for for virtually the entire history of well at least in american society history of newspapermen reporters right was that we were going to um we were going to uncover the truth our job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable not comfort the democrats and afflict the republicans it was comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable go out and find out who's doing things that they shouldn't be doing expose that to the light of day and once exposed to the light of day public pressure would force law enforcement to get into the situation correct the problem but when you are only looking at one side of the of the political aisle and not only not covering the other side but covering it up and furthermore when you're inventing stories to hurt the the, the po political party that you don't agree with and then you, then when you take that and pass that on to law enforcement which further weaponizes the whole process by by prosecuting cases on flimsy evidence against people they don't like and not prosecuting cases against people who are 
flagrantly guilty of people that they do like, you end up with what we have today. We have a society with, with AIDS. America has got AIDS. We have acquired immune deficiency syndrome as a culture. The press is supposed to be the immune system of the body politic. Its job is to seek out pathogens wherever they may be found, attack them and destroy them. And when when you have an allergic reaction, it's when your body's immune system turns on its own tissue because it doesn't recognize any difference between a, a pathogen and, and its own tissue. So, so our immune system is gone and everything, and, and when people die of AIDS, AIDS doesn't kill people. AIDS reduces their ability to fight off what would normally be relatively minor infections and they end up dying of pneumonia or, or bacterial infections or, or whatever, things that normally you would just brush off. Yes, exactly. So, so there's our problem. And Steve, I've said this many times, we have one problem in this country. Honest to God, we do. We just have one. We do not have a free press. If we had a free press, the border issue would have been solved. If we had a free press, the election integrity issue would have been solved. If we had a free press, the, 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 the vaccine issues would have been solved. If we had a free press, we would be just fine. But once you take that defense mechanism out of the body, then, then pathogens can do whatever the hell they want they to fester. and and this is all we're seeing now is is just simply that yeah um scott i know this subject is kind of near and dear to your heart you're you're a trained journalist and i i mean no insult um and <laughs> like <laughs> and like me uh we were offense scott. We, we were both big fans of uh, cnn back in the, the long ago days when it provided network news via the medium of cable and it it does seem a very long time since it did that and the uh, the guy they just fired help me out here uh I've never actually heard his name said out loud. I just read about it. Uh, is it Chris? Yeah, he's been licked. licked. Chris Light. Yeah, it, he's it definitely is pronounced been licked. Light. Okay, good. Good. Um, CNN fired him for trying to fix CNN, yeah. basically. And yeah. there, there, there are a couple of great quotes of his that I think indicate the the rot that that has infested journalism. This is a guy who said a black person, a brown person, and an Asian woman that all graduated from Harvard is not diversity. Um, he's on the record saying that he didn't yeah, want a just a statement. Yeah, he didn't want just a bunch of like-minded people on CNN. He he wanted actual diversity of thought, opinion. Uh, there you go. And this quote I loved. He was defending the uh, the the Donald Trump town hall that CNN did. I think back in March that got all their anchors throwing hissy fits. He said CNN's job, well, he, he didn't say this himself. He had CNN release the statement, but, you know, it's got his fingerprints on it. He said CNN's job was to ask tough questions, follow up, and hold them accountable to give voters the information they need to sort through their choices. That is our role and our responsibility. He was Perfect. essentially echoing what Sulzberger said, except Licht meant it. And they fired him for it, didn't they? Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a long time since I was in journalism school, um, but I remember a few uh, threads from that experience and the professor that I, I most associate with them, uh, who I won't name here for fear that it could reflect badly on him that he was my professor. Uh, but there were a couple of things that stick out in my mind when you think back on, you know, what is this, early 1980s 
journalism classes. Uh, number one was that Geraldo Rivera was a hero. Now, Geraldo Rivera is not the Geraldo Rivera that we know in this generation. He's the same guy, but this was way back in the day when he became famous for taking some cameras into a mental institution and showing the what the terrible conditions in the mental institution, and that's what made him a star. Um, and he was a hero among journalism students because he had done that. Uh, Woodward and Bernstein were heroes for bringing down a president. And both of those cases illustrate, I think, where, where things were going wrong, because journalism has always been laced with opinion from the of beginning. Course. Any time that there was any kind of chronicle of events, you can't really get outside of your own perspective as well as you'd like to. And frankly, the job of a good editor is to send the reporter back and say, uh, you need to get outside of your narrow view of things. You need to ask questions beyond the world you can see. You need to consider the other point of view because our readers come from all different kinds of perspectives and you need to be able to bring those perspectives to the table so that people can get a full-orbed view of whatever the issue is. And so what I saw in, upon reflection that was happening in the early 1980s and probably before that with journalism is that journalists were no longer satisfied with being accurate chroniclers of the times, of what was happening, of the events of their day. They became more interested in being the heroes who changed things. Yeah. And, and that, that is a deadly uh, poison for journalism. When your focus begins to be not that I want to make sure that I accurately uh, help my readers understand what's going on in their community or in their country, but rather I'm on a mission to change things, then you get what I've recently heard described by a friend of mine um, as movement journalism. And this was said without uh, a touch of irony. Um, that I want to engage in movement journalism. And, and I gently suggested that movement journalism would not perhaps be called journalism. It might be called public relations. <laughs> it's, or propaganda. It's a different business. Take yeah. Poison, yeah. And I remember, and I, actually I will mention this professor's name because uh, he was quoting from someone else, but I can't remember who he was quoting. Forever in my mind, Professor John Nichols said this. But he said, the question becomes, who's watching the watchdog? It's one thing to say that the journalist or the newspaper or the TV station or today with all the social media kind of newsy outlets we have, that, that these people are supposed to be watchdogs. And, and like Bill suggested, they're supposed to you know, go out there and ask those tough questions and you know, do that kind of stuff. But who's keeping an eye on them? Who's evaluating them? Who, who can understand their motives and, and who is basically calling them to account? I mean, there are some uh, intellectual journals, Columbia Journalism Review, you know, which I think still exists, um, publishes analyses, and every once in a while you get one of these not-for-profit news agencies that's kind of analyzing things. But by and large, this stuff just goes out unchecked from newsrooms and, uh, and TV stations and uh, social media platforms around the world without somebody keeping a check on them. And so, you know, I think the state of journalism today, if you want to ask the editor of the New York Times, just read some of the headlines off the most recent issue of the New York Times and ask, would a person who did not have a political agenda write that headline? Sometimes, <laughs> if you read the headline and then read the story, you'll find out that the reporter actually did a fairly workmanlike job of reporting the news, but the editor 
had to put the spin on it. The editor had to capture it in, in a way that was going to communicate with who they think is their bread and butter audience, the leading you know progressives in the country. So it, it's really heartbreaking to see what journalism could be and the tool that it could be in aid of a, a thriving democratic republic. And, and then the kind of cheap opinion, uh, opinioneering that it's become. Yeah. Steve, can I just add one thing to that? Because I think Scott pointed out something that, that I think is part of the problem I hadn't fully realized. The answer, I think, to the question of who's watching the watchdog used to be the other watchdogs. There, there, when, at a time when New York City once had at least 17 newspapers and, and probably more than that, Educated people would go out and they'd get the conservative newspaper, they'd get the, the liberal newspaper, they'd get a they maybe get the, the London Times or something, and they'd be able to triangulate on the on the truth. The, the people that were keeping journalists honest were the rival papers. And and by the way, if you ever want to get a, a genuinely brilliant and genuinely hilarious view on how journalism is supposed to work, look up a, a Mark Twain short story called Journalism in Tennessee. It oh. is absolutely the most wonderful thing ever written and, and it is it's absolutely perfect. But basically that's it, right? The 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 guy who was the editor of the, you know, Des Moines uh, you know, uh, intelligencer would call the the guy who was the editor of the Des Moines, you know, uh, spectator, a, a filthy low down liar who's who's done nothing but but commit, you know, sodomy and other acts repellent to human nature. And then and then that accusation would fly back. And and so one of the people, one of the main guardians of a, of a newspaper's accuracy was the other papers. And we don't have anything like that anymore. There's no the, the Journalism has become monolithic. There is no real competition among independent entity, entities that are calling out CNN as often as they're calling out, you know, politicians. Yeah, it's true. And to give you the, the uh, you and Scott, the slightly more modern answer to that question of who watches the watchdogs is 21 years ago when I launched Vodka Punnett, I became one of the, the early bloggers. It was the bloggers who were trying to hold journalists and newspapers Absolutely feet right. to the fire. As, uh, as another early blogger, Ken Lane, said back in 2002, I believe, we can fact check your ass. And I just, I, I love that quote. And uh, the power of the hyperlink meant that we couldn't BS our readers because we had to link to the source and let them know it, it was brilliant. But social media uh, just diminished the, the power of bloggers by putting everybody in a silo where dissenting voices could, could be silenced. And, well, we could fact check your ass. You just couldn't find us. And that became a big problem. Uh, I want to finish, though. <sighs> yes, journalism was murdered, but it didn't die at the scene. Here's the hmm. problem. Journalism was dragged to the hospital, bleeding out, and it refused treatment. Hmm. They put the needle in for the blood transfusion, and journalism said, no, we don't need that. They pulled it up. The doctors tried to stitch them out, and the dying journalism ripped the stitches right out. And I don't know. It's a, I, guess, I guess it's one of those murder-suicides, only they're... The only victim was journalism itself. I'd like to finish with uh, something that Cal Thomas brought to my attention. It's an old quote from David Brinkley, who I grew up watching as, as a kid because I was a really weird kid. Um, but he was, he was my model for what a TV journalist is supposed to be. And he said, it's impossible to be objective, so we must try to be fair. He used a little more of that. All right, that's your right angle on that, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you next time.